0: Well, please turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans. The book of Romans, we began a new sermon series last Sunday through um, this letter, this marvelous uh, letter of Paul's, and we're picking up our study today in chapter 1 again. Today we're going to be looking at chapter 1, verses 8 to 15. So beginning in verse 8, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Let me pray for us. Our God and Father, you have given us your word, you have given it to us for our good, and we pray that you would cause it to take root in us today. We ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, We have a neighbor who lives on a different street than us, um, but has the same house number that we do, and, and very frequently um, her mail is delivered to us, and our mail is uh, really wanted to make sh- clear to us, I did not intend to do this. And um, it was really no big deal for us. But, but you understand her, um, her fear and embarrassment. Reading someone else's mail is a big no-no, isn't it? It's considered a, an invasion of privacy. And when we come to Paul's letters, it can at times feel like we are reading someone else's mail. Uh, The book of Romans, I remind you, is a letter written by Paul to the church in Rome. And in today's passage, today's passage is a very personal section of the letter. Paul uses the words I and my over and over again. He talks about how he prays for them, his desire to visit them. And it can almost feel like we're eavesdropping on someone else's conversation. I mean, after all, this was not a letter written to us. But that's the beauty of Scripture. Even though Romans was not written to us, it was written for us. And so this is much, this is as much God's Word to us today as it was to the Christians in Rome in the first century. And, and there's a there's a lot here for us. Last week, as we looked at the opening verses, Uh, we saw what Paul had to say about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's good news from God about Jesus, who He is, and what He has done through His life, death, and resurrection. What He's done to rescue and redeem us. And then this week, as we move community, the church of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going to talk about the, the kind of community created by the gospel. And I want you to see three characteristics of that community created by the gospel. Uh, first, he says on, he, he gives thanks for them in verse 8. Verses 9 and 10, he, he says that he prays regularly for them, longs to visit them. He's he's praying for an opportunity to come. We have to ask, why does Paul want to get to Rome so so badly? Um, why does he long to, to go to Rome? I mean, it's an impressive city. Uh, it has a rich history. I, I know that some of you were there not too long ago enjoying the sights. But but for Paul, he's not interested in the architecture. He tells us in verse 11, I, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. I want to strengthen your faith. That, that, that's the reason Paul longs to uh, make it to Rome. He wants to encourage them. And he says by imparting a spiritual gift, and he clarifies what he means in verse 12, um, not he, by spiritual gift, he doesn't mean uh, spirit-given abilities. He, he will talk about that later in chapter 12. But here he just simply wants to convey blessing to the Romans. He says, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Um, Mutual encouragement. That's what Paul is after. That's the gift he wants to convey. And and frankly, the gift he wants to experience himself. And and as we know, he can't be there at this point, so the letter has to stand in for uh, his presence. Uh, His exposition and application of the gospel in this letter is the way he's going to strengthen these believers in Rome. Now, Paul says, I want to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. Does Paul, who you remember is an apostle, does, does the apostle Paul really believe that he can be his faith, can be strengthened by a Christian slave in Rome. There were more than slaves in the church at Rome, but many of them were slaves. Does, does this great apostle think that some, you know, just ordinary believer could strengthen his faith? Yes, yes, that, that's the way faith and fellowship work. There's mutual encouragement. It's never one-sided. You know the the Maxims are getting ready to go to Uganda again next month, and and I'd imagine that when they come back, they could tell you that they did more receiving than giving. That as they went there to to teach and to work with churches there, that that they received more encouragement from the the faith and faithfulness of the Ugandan Christians than than they gave to them. You know the, these Christians in Uganda live in a in a place where um, you can't take for granted things we, we just think are, are normal, you know, electricity, clean drinking water, and their faithfulness in following Christ in, challenging, in a challenging context. It's an encouragement to us. It's an, we see that God is faithful to his people and, and his people have trusted him and continue to trust in Christ. And it inspires us to do the same. And so I, I want to encourage you, learn from our brothers and sisters in in other places. You know, you think of brothers and sisters in, in Africa, in the Middle East, in, in China. There's so many amazing stories of faithful Christian discipleship in hard places. Um, you know, we often think as, as a church in America that we're so theologically sophisticated, and we have all the resources, and we're the world's teacher. But we have. And so they saw themselves as the sophisticated class, the, the people at the top of the social ladder. Uh, and they regarded people outside their circles as barbarians. We hear that word and think, you know, just violent people. But, but in Paul's world, that word referred to foreigners. People who couldn't speak Greek or spoke Greek with a, a funny accent, people who were culturally backwards, uh, not the people you owe anything to. And here's Paul saying, I, I'm a debtor <laughs> to all kinds of people. You know, the, the Romans thought the barbarian classes were just, were only fit to be slaves. Paul says, I am their debtor, and, and really makes the same point with the, uh, the second pair wise, foolish, the, the educated, the uneducated. Again, social status. You see, for, for Paul, the gospel transcends social status. The, the gospel transcends the social barriers erected by human culture. Um, it, let me add, it doesn't obliterate all differences. Instead it puts them in their proper place. The the gospel has a leveling effect, and, and Paul's gonna talk about this more as we go on, but it, it says all human beings without distinction, whatever social class, whatever ethnicity or race, all human beings are sinful before God. It also says that God's justice is impartial. He doesn't favor one. Uh, Group over the other. All are condemned because of sin, and yet the good news that Paul unpacks here in the letter is that the gospel is freely offered to all people without distinction. God's saving grace in Jesus Christ is equally available to all people on the same basis faith in Jesus Christ. And so, This gospel, Paul proclaims, it's a universal gospel in this sense. It's for all people. And and this gospel that's for all people, it creates a a diverse but unified community. Greeks, barbarians, wise, foolish. I mean, this is part of the reason that the, the early church, the church in Paul's day was so perplexing to the Roman world. Um, In Roman society, status was everything. Status, power was everything. And and here you have this community of Jesus followers made up of of slaves and masters, um, men and women, um, the rich and the poor, uh, Jews and Gentiles, these people from widely different backgrounds, and they treat each other like siblings. They, They don't play the status game. They see each other as equals. You know, Paul says in Galatians 3 there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Diverse, but one in Christ. And this was radical stuff in Paul's day. Uh, I think it's still radical in, in our day as well. Um, most churches are made up of the same kinds of people. Most churches are made up of the same kinds of people. You know, uh, people from the same income bracket, or or people with a shared political identity. Maybe people all from the same ethnicity or or race. And and not all of that is a problem. There's there's practical reasons why that that is in some cases, but too often. It's because we Christians have lost sight of the biblical vision of the church. A, a diverse but united community in Jesus Christ. Um, we've just become so accustomed to, to division and, and segmenting ourselves off that, that we're, just, we're okay with it. And Paul has a lot to say about this in Romans. I, I can't unpack it today because we're going to spend the next year and a half unpacking it. But, you know, we, we love Romans for its doctrine of justification by faith, and rightly so. But Paul applies that doctrine in, in the book of Romans in terms of fellowship by faith. Fellowship by faith. Because we've been welcomed by Christ. On the basis of faith, we're to welcome one another on the same basis. Uh, Let me just say this for now about diversity in the church. Uh, We should celebrate diversity in the church. It's something to celebrate. Diversity is not a bad word. It's not a four-letter word. Um, It's not something to be afraid of. Uh, diversity wasn't invented by the secularists. Sometimes we, we think, maybe we think it, it, it was. Um, the secular ideal of a, a diverse but united community is a borrowed idea. It's basically the Christian ideal severed from its gospel roots. And so diversity in the church is, is God's design. You know, the vision of the church in Revelation 5, it's a vision of a diverse community. People from every tribe, every tongue, every language, every nation, together, worshiping Jesus Christ. Um, Next Sunday, Scott Mell from Cornerstone West Los Angeles is going to be here preaching to us. And I don't know how much you know about his church, but his church strives to be a little glimpse of this in the Los Angeles area, strives to be a little glimpse of, of a diverse but united community in Christ. Uh, many of the members of, of his church are native English speakers, but there's also a, a large contingent of native Farsi speakers and native Spanish speakers. And, you know, language barriers are difficult. And his church recognizes that. They have services in English and, and Farsi and Spanish but they see themselves as one church. And they come together regularly as one church. And, and they will sing together. They will sing songs in English. They sing songs in Farsi and Spanish. They, they have learned to lean into this, uh, the diversity of Christ's body. And that, that unity in Christ Diversity glorifies God. It it magnifies the saving power of Jesus Christ, that this gospel is for all people. So, the kind of community the gospel creates, number one, a a global community, second, a diverse community, and then third, and finally, a gospel-centered community. A gospel-centered community. The, the final verse in, in our section, verse 15, Paul says, "So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome." Um, I, I think it's very easy to misunderstand what Paul, the point that he's making here. Um, we may hear it as, "Well, the gospel is for all people, therefore I want to evangelize all people in Rome." Um, now, he's already said he wanted to make new converts in verse 13, but, but that's not what he says here in verse 15. Uh, notice he says, I want to preach the gospel to you also, <laughs> to you, his, his Christian readers. And so maybe at this point you're scratching your head and, and wondering, does Paul really believe they're Christians or not? <laughs> I mean, he he's said in the passage we looked at last week, they belong to Jesus Christ. They are loved by God, called to be saints. Here this week we see he commends their faith. It sounds like they're already Christians. Why does he want to preach the gospel to them? Uh, What's going on? We we need to recognize something vitally important. The, The gospel is not merely the ABCs of the Christian life. It's not just the ABCs. It really is, in a sense, the A to Z of the Christian life. And, and maybe you've thought, you know, the Gospel is strictly for non-Christians. You know, it's good. They need it. They need to be called to faith in Jesus Christ. But after you become a Christian, you move on from the Gospel. You know, that those are just... You know, that gospel is just at the beginning, and, and now growing as a Christian is about um, trying hard to live by biblical principles. Um, some of you may be aware of uh, Jerry Bridges, a uh, Christian author who died several years ago years ago. He calls that mentality. Gospel is, is for non-Christians. Uh, we move on to just biblical principles as Christians. He calls that the performance. Treadmill. Maybe you've heard him talk about this. Um, What he means is we know as Christians that we're saved by grace through faith. We, We know that, we get that, we love that, we believe that, forgiveness of sins, eternal life is our free gifts of God's grace. We know that the gospel establishes our relationship with God, but we we begin to think that we maintain that relationship, we develop that relationship by our performance a works mentality. And so Jerry Bridges paints this picture of Christians just kind of hoofing it on the treadmill and, and they're sweaty and tired, the legs are growing weak, and then at some point you you stumble and fall and, and you just get shot across the room by the, the belt on the treadmill. Um, it, it's a miserable way to live as a Christian. And it's it's rooted in a small gospel. It's rooted in a gospel that is merely for elementary school and not for all of life. And and I want you to understand something. I want you to understand this. We are saved by believing the gospel and we are transformed by believing and applying the gospel. Um, We do not move on from this good news If anything, we go deeper and deeper into the gospel as we follow Christ. There are are riches to be mined. There are depths to God's love to be explored. And, And that is why Paul, here in this letter, chapter after chapter, unpacks the gospel for whom? For Christians. Romans is not an evangelistic letter. I mean, it, it can be used that way. There's plenty in here that's useful in sharing the gospel with someone. But but this is a letter written to Christians. And Paul, he wants to give believers a, a more robust understanding of the gospel. He, he gives us a big gospel that affects every area of life. Um, nothing is left untouched. And this gospel, this big gospel, it forms a community that's centered on the gospel. If you have your bulletin and you look over at the back cover, we have our mission statement as a church printed there on the back of the bulletin. And we as a church, we're striving to build a community of gospel centered people. That is what we're about as a church. Uh, the gospel is at the center of, of who we are as a church. It's at the center of what we do as a church. Um, even our worship services all that revolve around this good news. We, we sing about it. We pray about it. We preach it. We celebrate it in the Lord's Supper. We conclude our services with a, a gospel blessing because the gospel is central. You know, our discipleship ministry, community groups, Bible studies, whatever it is here at Grace Bible Church, they're all designed to take Christians deeper with the gospel. They're designed to form Christians by the grace of the gospel so that we become gospel-shaped people, a gospel-shaped church, a community that embodies the, the grace of, of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ. So the the gospel, it creates a community. It it creates a global community, a a worldwide fellowship of believers. It creates a, a diverse community, people from all walks of life, all categories, all backgrounds, but united in Jesus Christ. And it creates a community that's centered on the Gospel. And I, I said this last week, but I, I think it's worth repeating again today. Uh, we are excited about the book of Romans. Uh, we're excited about digging deeper into the, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and let me say, when, when the Gospel gets a hold of Christian men and women, when the Gospel gets a hold of a congregation, uh, the result can be revolutionary. Uh, when we start to see that the gospel is more than simply a set of beliefs that we assent to. I mean, It is a set of beliefs, and we do assent to them. We believe them wholeheartedly. But, but when the gospel becomes more than just these intellectual truths that I affirm, and we see it as, as God's power, as Paul will talk about it next week, God's power that changes us in profound Ways, uh, the result is gospel renewal. Gospel renewal. Individuals are changed. A, a church is changed. A, beautiful things begin to happen in a community shaped by this gospel. And so, uh, Pray that, as we walk through Romans, that this this good news that Paul brings to us would would more and more characterize us as a church and, and I want to pray for us right now uh, along those lines, so join with me in prayer, our God and Father. We thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ, we thank you for the the gift of grace that you have extended to us through our Lord and Savior. And we pray that the, the good news that Romans holds out to us would shape us as Christian men and women, that it would shape us as a congregation here in Escondido. We pray that beautiful things would happen among us. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.